Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. It's time to get your swagger back with PointsBet Sportsbook. New customers download the PointsBet app today and sign up in any of PointsBet's live states with code PAGE to get five second chance bets up to $500. That's five straight days of second chances where PointsBet will match your losing wager and bet credits. Again, that's promo code PAGE and enjoy more live betting markets than ever before. PointsBet your move. Call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services or visit www.1800gambler.net. This is Playing Around with Paige Renee. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Playing Around podcast. I'm your host, Paige Renee. Later on this episode, I'll be joined by my co-host, Samantha Marks, and one of the OGs in golf media, Peter Finch. It's a very enjoyable interview, so keep on listening for that. First up, I want to recap the U.S. Women's Open. It was held at an iconic venue, Pebble Beach. I've played there before, and it is one of the most beautiful golf courses I have ever played. The views are just out outrageous. Allison Corpoots dominated on Sunday to win her first major and her first tour event. I remember watching her on Friday and she was hitting these amazing wedge shots and I was like, okay, (laughs) she might give it a go here. It was back and forth um, from Thursday all until Sunday. And then on that back nine, Allison just turned up the heat and got it done. Charlie Hall was giving it her all. It was really impressive to watch her play. She was so aggressive. She never let up. She just kept going the entire time, even down on hole 18, par 5. She was close to the tree and she just hit this amazing three wood, end up going in the bunker, but you never knew what was going to happen. And that was so incredible to watch and really enjoyable. I will say it was a bit sad to see the lack of coverage on social media. And I'm part of the problem because I also did not tweet or talk about it. And you guys know my conflicting feelings regarding the LPGA tour and female golfers. And I'm trying to do my best to get over that and focus on the betterment of the game and growing the game of golf. But It's difficult to support a product that publicly has not made you feel included. And that's something that I deal with internally and my internal conflict of 
should I support it? I know it's the right thing, but they weren't supportive towards me. And they always talk about growing the game and everything they do for women, but they make me feel excluded. And it goes back and forth. But I need to get over that <laughs> because I wish more people watched the US Women's Open because it was such an amazing final round. And I wish it was publicized a bit more. And even when you were looking at the crowds out there from Thursday till Sunday, it they just didn't really seem to show up in the same way that they show up for the men. And you would think that it, it being such an iconic venue and just a ton of golf fans around there that they would show up. And so it goes back to, you know, what do we do? <laughs> How do we change this? If you give them better viewing spots and if you get them more media, will more people show up? And it's this, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? And we can have a discussion on that, maybe another episode with Sam, because I'd love to hear her thoughts on it. But it was very interesting to see how different it was. I will say I tuned into the CW to watch the live event and it was cool how it was shown, how it was done. It was competing against the John Deere Classic, which is one of the weakest fields the PGA Tour has all year long. And so I did not turn into the John Deere and chose the U.S. Women's Open and the live event. And I watched that for a little bit. Wimbledon is also going on. So I've been watching a ton of crazy um, tennis matches. And one thing that tennis does really well is they incorporate the men and the women. And you're going from one match to the next match. And I love how they do that. And it's not that you're then forced to watch the women because I feel that women's tennis is more dominant than men's tennis and more people choose to watch women's tennis over men's tennis. And that could be a hot take, but that's just how I feel. It's my podcast, so I can say it. <laughs> but you just see that. And I think it is because of how the product is on TV and you are seeing all these different personalities together and it's going so quickly back and forth. And it would be interesting if they did that in golf. What if you have one event? I'm not saying it needs to be a major because I know how people in golf are. If and it's not done in a traditional fashion, then everyone is outraged. But what if you did one event at the same time and you're throwing it back and forth and you're seeing one shot here from a man, one shot here from an LPGA player, and it goes back to the PGA Tour and then goes back to the LPGA Tour. And I think that would be amazing and a week like the John Deere could be a week that you could experiment with combining them together and it's not a mixed event they're two separate events but they're going on at the same time I think it would be really interesting to see what happens and of course they're probably not going to do it because no one ever does anything that enacts change but <laughs> you guys already know my feelings on that but I think doing things like that or mixing it up or changing things you have to have change to see progress and I think that people are just so stuck in their own ways and change is scary but doing something like that on a down week for the PGA Tour could be highly interesting and people would really enjoy it. What's next for me? I luckily have been in the same spot for two weeks without travel. I've been traveling like crazy the last six months, so it was nice to recharge a little bit. The 4th of July was so much fun. I shot so much content, so if you guys haven't been over on OP yet, make sure to check out Only Page. There's so much content on there. I think you guys will really enjoy it, but without further ado, let's get into our interview with Peter Finch. And now welcoming in from Manchester, a fellow ShotScope Global Ambassador, widely recognized for his YouTube channel, his social media presence, he shares instructional videos, equipment reviews, course logs, and so much more. You know him, you love him. Peter Finch, welcome to the Playing Around Podcast. 
Wow. Thank you. Oh, my word. That is the best intro I have ever had. That's well, fantastic. And we're so can, glad to have you. Can I can I get that as a separate recording, please? I would If I could have that as my ringtone, that would be amazing. Like, how good would I feel every day if I could listen to that? That's fantastic. I always have Sam do the intros because she nails it every oh. single time. And I'm like, can you do this? Because you have to. You always do a great job. But Peter, thank you so much for joining us. And we just want to you know, get to know you a little bit first. And obviously, we both do content creation. And how did you mm-hmm. get into that? How did it all begin? Oh, for me, it was all about the money. Uh, purely cash driven uh, basically I was at a driving range in the UK and I, I I needed more lessons to put it bluntly and I absolutely hate kind of wandering down a driving range and trying to engage with people like it, you get it quite a lot if you go to a driving range and you're hitting a bad shot and all of a sudden there'll be a, there'll be one of the teaching pros behind you they'll be like oh oh that wasn't good was it do, do you want some help and like I I, I it was so uncomfortable. I hate being that guy. So I was like, how can I get the word out about my lessons with the minimal of human interaction? And that was YouTube videos. <laughs> and it basically started from there and it's gone full circle. Like I don't, I don't do any coaching anymore. It's just purely content creation. I still do coaching videos, but one-to-one lessons, you know, it's been 10 years now and it's completely flipped on its head. It's, it's been a bit of a wild ride really. What was the first video that you did where you were like, okay, maybe this is actually a thing for me or like the one that took off or what was your first memory of when you realized this is a thing? I think it was quite strange doing the coaching videos because if you did a a, slice video and someone would phone up and say, I've just seen your video, I sliced the ball, can I come in for a lesson? I was like, okay, that's fine. So they're coming for a lesson, you talk through and you say, yeah, I saw the video and I tried it and it was working. And it was almost like, well, why, why are you here exactly? Um, if it was working, uh, but it was a real eye opener that, like, you put if you start to put content out there, certainly content which is kind of helping people with their game, they'll want to come and just cement that or learn some new stuff. That was a, it was an eye opener about because certainly in professional golf at that time, it was very much if you had information, you should keep it to yourself until someone was willing to pay for it. Whereas now information is out there. Like if you want to fix something in your goal swing, you want to know something, just stick it in YouTube and it will come up. So it's a completely different um, scenario than it is now. But one of the big changes for me was we started to do course vlogs. So literally just going out, playing golf, filming it, and then uploading it. And people started to watch it. To be honest, I still can't quite get my head around that. Like why someone would want to watch me semi chop it. <laughs> Semi chop it around the golf course, but it's like the kind of content that people enjoy the most now. It's it's a very strange thing. And one of the best things about it, I believe, is just you're always learning about what's working and what's not and what people actually want to watch. Because I've I've come into this from a background of being a pro golfer coach. So, you know, I wasn't involved really much in video production before this. So I'm learning as I go. I think that's one of the most exciting things. Like I never quite know what's going to work. Well, it's, it's interesting because you are one of the, you know, OGs. There were kind of a group of us who started this out in the beginning and you have such a strong playing background and instructor background. When you look at what has become of golf social media and you see all of this information out there, are you happy with the progress or are you seeing a ton of people 
claiming to be instructors or, you know, being giving bad information online and you're just kind of like, oh, I don't know how to react to that. How do you feel about the progression of this like golf instructor on social media and people just being able to say whatever they want, whenever they want, and people don't really know what's good or bad now? Yeah, I think for the most part, it's great. Like for the most part, having information which you know, only kind of 10, 15 years ago would have cost a lot of money to attain. You can now get it for free. And that's fantastic. You know, the, there's a new wave of golfers who are coming into the game now who are, you know, good players who've pretty much solely learned the game from watching YouTube instructional videos. And that's incredible. Like the, the domain of being a range pro stuck behind your student, like with your chinos on and your shirt, it's just, it's not, it's not the reality that we live in anymore. Um, and for the most part, I think that's amazing. I think it's great. And I think with information-based coaching, if you don't know what you're talking about and you start to make those coaching videos, you will get found out. Like you will get found out. Because one of the advantages of having so many instructors online is if videos do start to get a little bit of traction, there's nothing stopping you commenting on that video that someone else has done and say, listen, I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't know. <laughs> I think you might have got that wrong. I've never personally done that. I'm too nice for that. I don't want to get involved in any dramas. Well, I think I'm going to add a little bit of drama here with this question. Love it. Because there is also a big discussion on who is the best YouTube golfer. And I would say that you are one of the best ones. Top three for sure. How do you rank yourself in the YouTube golfer um, playing category? Because we have like the Brian brothers. We have good, good. We have foreplay, no laying up, Rick Shields. We have you. We have... I mean, me, of course, but (laughs) where do you rank yourself within all of the different players? Because it's definitely a big discussion that people love to talk about. Yeah, yeah. The only way, like literally the only way to kind of figure this out is to have like a proper YouTube tournament where everybody's there, everybody's playing. That's the the ultimate goal and it it will happen. It has to happen at some point. I think at the moment, and honestly, I played golf this weekend uh with my dad at a charity event and it is the worst golf i've ever played in like years i was i was losing balls and the will to live so quickly around that front line um the local wildlife was in serious danger so if you'd have asked me this a week ago i might have had a different answer but if you'd asked me this a year ago i had a different answer as well when i was still playing in comps but i think i put myself i think i put myself solidly within the top seven I'd, I'd say I'd say you're number two. I'd say I'd, I'd be number seven. Who me? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> admittedly, all the social clips I watch you hitting the ball, I never actually see the ball land. So I'm just presuming it's going straight. As her content manager, that might be on purpose. Who's to know? Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny because I'm the opposite of most people. When I have a camera on me, I play great. And then when it's like in tournament play or just for fun, I don't play well. And so people are always like, you're making birdies. So I do these, you know, play a hole with me. And I always make a birdie. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I want to hit these bad shots, but I'm actually hitting good shots. And there's sometimes like, I'll look at Sam, I'm like, should we just hit a bad shot at this point? Because people <laughs> are just not going to believe this. Um, but that's the interesting part. When you look at content from these creators, you're like, 
is it one take? Is it two takes? Is it 10 takes? Like no one really knows. So a YouTube tournament could be very, very interesting. I know Rick Shields a while ago wanted to put something together, mm. but it's hard for all of us to get in one place. But I, I, I'm ready. I think you're ready. I think the world needs right. to see this. So maybe we can make this happen. And I, I'm just waiting for the call. My clubs are <laughs> always by my side. I'm ready to roll. Uh, yeah, I think it, I think it will do. Like I say it just needs... It needs the planning and it needs enough time ahead of it so everybody can get to the same place. And like, where's that going to be? Because certainly, you know, us from the OG crowd, like when we started, it was quite surprising me when we started how few golf creators there actually were in the US. It was it was weird. It was like everyone seemed to be UK based. I don't know if that's just because we generally started around the same area and like most of us knew each other. It just took off that way. But now the the fastest grown channels and the probably the biggest channels are kind of US based. So it's you know, where would it be held? So two part question here, and this kind of goes off of what you just said. Is there anybody around you, maybe because I know you're overseas, is there anybody around you that you were looking at when you started to creating and kind of modeling after? And then secondly to that, is there anybody up and coming who's a creator doing some similar stuff to you that you're excited about that people should look out for? Um, I think when we, so when we started, Rick had already been filming videos for about, well, probably over a year. I think he already had about 10, 20,000 subscribers, whatever it was. And it was a case of, because we were coaching at the same facility and his diary was by far the fullest. So it was like, okay, so what's he doing differently? He's making these videos. Okay. So I kind of spied on him for a bit, saw what he was doing and then tried to make my own, which were horrific. Like I, when I go when I go back and watch my first few videos, it's it's so cringy. Like I can feel my skin crawling just just watching them. But you've got to start somewhere, haven't you? I think in the early days it was very much just make it obviously go along. But like the amount of creators who are out there at the moment, and the amount of creators who are just like finding their own like little niches, and you know, good good are a fantastic example of you know a golf power group which is not something that I would have predicted 10 years ago, freezing my ass off at 7am on a driving range in Manchester, filming a pitching video. Like it's just gone completely kind of crazy within in the golf world. But I think good, good are a fantastic kind of example of what you can do. You know, if you, if you get your head down, you know, work in, work as a team and you can achieve these amazing things. Cause if you look at what they're doing from a, content standpoint and from the amount of views and interaction they get you know they look at a good good at having a bigger coverage week to week than the tour like pj tour more more people are watching good good than pj tour events which is wild if you think about it it is wild and like you said there's so many different creators out there right now who are finding their little niches and what works for them but you do have such a strong teaching background. And I think that is something that sets you apart from everyone else. And for people who are watching your videos, what is your swing philosophy? Oh, it changes day by day. <laughs> the most, probably the most common thing I always, I always found when I was coaching and certainly I still do occasional lessons every now and again, but the first place I always start and the first place I always recommend that anybody starts is club face where that is at different points in the swing because a lot of people can get so wound up in swing mechanics about top of the backswing where they are loads of different things 
that if you trace it back to the root, it might just be because their club face is pointing in the wrong direction at address and impact, that that's why their swing faults are being caused. Like generally, if you have a look at your swing and you can see something which is wrong, it might not be that that's wrong. There's something else which is the cause. So it's just, it's tracing it back to the root and then going from there. And that tends to be a simpler fix than, you know, messing with swing playing and all those kind of things. I, I like to, my favorite people to coach are kind of like higher to mid handicaps because that's where you can see the most improvement. Those guys and girls are generally the most to kind of improve upon as well. So I'll, I'll get I'll get back to coaching eventually. I'm just not quite ready yet. So for people who are listening to this, who've never taken a lesson, I mean, we both grew up playing Paige and I, and obviously you too. And I always try to stay away from instructors who like only teach one way to swing and this is their method and they're the stack and tilt guy. And that's like, I was like, what the hell? Like, no, thanks. How would you advise somebody looking for an instructor right now? Not necessarily to come to you, but anybody anywhere in the world, what would you say to look for? I mean... This is a very, it's a very easy thing for me to say, but you know, if they are making videos and they are putting content out there and you can identify with them, it's such a fantastic way to go. It, it was always a, it was always a thing. And I don't know if this is like more of a British thing, but there's a very awkward moment. Like when you go in for a lesson, you don't know them, they don't know you. There's a bit like sizing up, like no one's quite sure about what's going on. But like when you start putting videos out and once you start exposing yourself as a coach and like what your ideas are and how you communicate, when that person comes in for a lesson, they already know you. So there's the, the awkwardness is just gone straight away. And they have something to talk about because that's the hardest thing, like to start a conversation and small talk. It's like, oh, you know, I watched your video the other day. How was playing at True? How was playing at St. Andrews? You know, what, how, what was it like? And then all of a sudden you got a conversation and they, they trust what you say a lot more. Um, that's probably the best way to to find somebody who you're going to gel with. Because there's people who would see my coaching videos and style who will not like gel with what I'm saying, who won't want to come to see me. That's fine. Yeah, there's there's so many other people out there, and there's so many other coaches actually making videos. Finding them is is easier than ever, and I, I like I like that as well because it shows that that person is putting themselves out there, like they they want to be found. You know, there's still a lot of pros out there who are more than willing to take you 50 quid just to see your hit balls for an hour on the range and, you know, get to turn your hips more. It's like, there's a, there's a lot still out there. Paige, why don't you speak to uh, how you got in trouble for talking about club pros in that aspect? <laughs> I did. So I, you know, just being around the game for such a long time and being on different driving ranges and seeing club pros, some have a massive passion for it. And you can see that and they put everything they have into teaching and, and wanting to get players to improve. And then you see the type of instructor that you just mentioned, where they're like, keep your head down, don't lift up. Okay, I'll take my $100 now or $50 or whatever it may be. And then they just do that over and over and over again. They have no passion for it. And so I spoke about that publicly. And I just said that there are a lot of really bad golf instructors out there. And uh, the feedback from a lot of club pros was not positive. <laughs> and they're the ones that are trying to make the game better. There's good and there's bad. And I think that's what is so great about social media is because, like you said, there are so many instructors out there now who want to get better 
like want people to see their instruction and they're so passionate about it. And you can find really great instructors online. You just have to do a little bit of research. And I think for golfers right now, you have so much access to different technologies with going to like an X golf where you can see your, your club path and what it's doing. And you have all the data, which you would mm -hmm. not have access before. And you have amazing golf instructors that you can find on YouTube and Instagram and on Twitter and, and also, you know, shot scope being able to have access to all of this data. And we're both shot scope ambassadors. And mm -hmm. when I first started out, I only used the rangefinder because that's just kind of what I knew. And then they were telling me more about GPS and I always knew how tracking your stats would make you a better golf golfer, but I didn't really do it. And so I started wearing the GPS watch and it would track everything that I was doing. And I was like, oh, I'm losing so many shots here and I can get better this way. And again, it's just like these golfers now have access to all of these tools and technology and instructors and everyone that can get better, you can. But I want to know from you, what is your favorite shot scope device? Um, I think for me, the actual, the actual software and the app is... It, it, from a coaching standpoint, it's invaluable because, you know, you can get, certainly when I was coaching, I remember you know, being in quite a few lessons where we'd had multiple sessions, they were swinging it great, but then they'd come back in the next lesson and be like, you know, I've not actually improved my score. I've not got better. And, you know, as a younger coach, I probably couldn't quite figure that out, but having access to their data, that's absolutely crucial because you can then actually understand how you're swinging it great, but you seem to be losing a lot of shots by, you know, coming up short or you're losing shots with your short game and all the rest of it. So actually having access to that kind of data is, is invaluable. I mean, certainly from, I, I, I was probably the same. I, I always use a laser, you always used a laser where really now I just, I use my watch more than anything, just front, middle, back, where's the trouble, hit the middle distance, clear the front. It's easy. Makes it a lot easier. I mean, technology in general makes it so much easier, but you are right at the, yeah, when I was growing up, my coaching, when I think back what it was like as a junior, wasn't good. Like the stuff they were telling me. Like yeah, now I can understand why it wasn't good. And I don't think pros should be too like precious about it. Like my coaching when I started is not anywhere near as good as what it would be now. So I've just got more knowledge. It's, it's as simple as that. I don't think we should be too precious to admit that, you know, we don't know everything. Because we don't. I, there's, there's so much to coaching. There's so much to lessons. There's so much to the golf technique that, you know, I can learn and I can get better at. I don't think we should be too shy about admitting that. Win money betting on golf this year. Betting on golf is fun, but picking winners isn't easy. BetSports Golf has the data, tools, and experts to turn your Sundays into paydays. Members get in-depth articles, research tools, and our team's picks each and every week. If you had bet $100 on every wager the BetSports Golf team had recommended last year, you'd be up nearly $10,000. For a limited time, you can head to BetSportsGolf.com to get a special price on a year-long subscription. So I don't play as much as I used to. Paige and I always talk about this, but whenever I do, I seem to get paired up somehow with somebody who says, you know, I'm not good enough for a rangefinder. I'm not good enough to go get nice clubs. I'm not good enough for any of this. What do you say to that? Because I think that having a rangefinder that will provide you this data, even if you're shooting a hundred, you could get down to 90 real fast. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so much kind of technology available. 
I think it's almost like deciding and understanding which one is going to be best for you. Um, I think one of the most common issues that you have, certainly when you don't use a laser or you don't use a rangefinder, is when you zap a target or when you use your shot scope to analyze how far you need to hit it. And then it becomes quite apparent to a lot of amateurs that they don't hit their 7 iron 160 yards. And it can be quite an eye-opening experience um, for a lot of golfers. Or they just shoot the pin and it's 160 yards and they grab the 160-yard club. If my boyfriend does that one more time, if you're listening, I'm going to punch you because you need to hit it like 150, maybe. Yeah. The technology and having the information at your fingertips is great. It's understanding how to use it. Great power and great responsibility and all that kind of stuff. You know, it is, but they make it so easy to get your data. And that was something I, I <laughs> my whole business is on my phone and so tied into technology, but I can barely like work a phone, work a TV, work things. And so I was really worried about using ShotScope at first because I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get my data and be able to figure it out, but it is so simple. And mm. one thing that was really shocking to me when I was looking back at my data was my wedge game, 100 yards and in. I was missing out on so many scorable opportunities looking at the data was there like an aha moment for you or something when you were looking at your data and you were really surprised that that was a weakness in your game when you maybe thought it was a strength honestly when when i was doing comps last year and i was putting all the data in it was my putting was depressing like actually depressing and I was, I was looking at everything else and everything else strokes gained against like a tour pro baseline was in the, in the positive. Like my driving was unreal. My approach play was okay. My short game was decent. And then I was losing just so many strokes every round on my putting. But it's, again, it's, it's having that understanding of the data and saying, okay, well, that's obviously an area of weakness that I need to work on. And then I was practicing on my putting quite a bit. It wasn't really getting too much better, but then my approach play that's when I tracked it back and said, well, actually, I'm not hitting it close enough. So my, my putting isn't going to improve drastically. My birdie conversion isn't going to improve drastically unless I get my approach play a bit closer. So that's what I did. That's what I worked on. And that's what using shot scope stats allows you to do is figure out those weaknesses and where to where to work on it. It then didn't help that my driver went to pop, but it won't <laughs> It's so interesting because Paige and I, whenever we get together, we were filming these shot scope um, videos for YouTube and she's doing a series called Breaking right now where we did mm. Breaking 100, Breaking 90, Breaking 80. And one thing we noticed when we were filming this last um, up in New Jersey is we're like, this is really only a difference of one or two things between mm. hitting each milestone when you're trying to break 100, break 90, break 80. What can you speak to that and just how minuscule some of these changes can be like hitting one more green or two more greens per round can bring you bring your score down so much? Yeah, it's, it, it can be drastic. And it, it's why I like, again, working with, well, working, used to work with the higher handicap golfers using their stats and like looking at their swing because it, 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 it can sometimes be so apparent and it can sometimes be so easy to fix. And generally, as you become a better player, that's where the margins become smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's where you need to get a little bit more in depth with everything. Like most, most golfers, if they're a, of an okay standard, you can get them to break 100 pretty quickly. And 90 can follow quite quickly after that. It's as soon as you start to get to that 80 mark where, yeah, things get a little bit tight because things get more expensive. You, know, you have double bogey and that's, that's you done. So it, it gets a little bit trickier. <laughs>
Yeah. So we have some fun questions for you as we wrap up soon, but what are your thoughts on live the past year and the merger? Oh, wow. Um, that's a crazy one. To, to be honest, it, it's just, I'm like everyone else, really. I'm just so confused. I, I don't know what, I don't know what's happening. And we, when we did our podcast today, it was a bit like this. I, I don't know how to feel about it because only a month ago, you know, I'm old enough to remember a month ago when everything was a separate entity. Live Golf was like the, the worst thing in the world if you kind of according to PJ Tour and everything else. And there was a very clear dividing line and everybody knew where they stood. Now, nobody knows. Like nobody knows what's happening. Nobody knows what this new kind of venture is going to look like. Is it okay to like live now? Because the PJ Tour said it's okay. Um, where are the tour players going to go? What's going to happen? I, it's so confusing. I, I would say that this is the first week where, certainly in the UK, where the live golf event probably got more coverage than the DP World Tour and the PJ Tour. Because like the, the DP World Tour and the PJ Tour, their fields were relatively weak, like their events. And live obviously had... Cam Smith win, you know, gearing up for the Open Championship. So it, it's a difficult one because there's obviously so much controversy behind it. But from a golf fan's perspective, this year feels a bit more like people just want to see golf and they're not actually too fussed about any of the background stuff anymore. They just want, just want to see their favourite players play and where they're playing and the politics behind that don't seem to be too fussed about it anymore. Because I think with... With the PIF and and all the money that's coming into sports, it's in every sport now. Like the, the, you can't you can't get away from where the investment is coming. So it's either you turn your back on all sports, or you just watch sports and watch it for the enjoyment and try not to allow it to be politicised. But it's it's tricky and it is just so confusing. I don't I don't know what to think anymore. I don't know. Just watch YouTube videos. They're easy. They're easy to digest. <laughs> That's exactly what we've been saying the whole time is like, we talked about it right when the news broke. And then I kept putting it in the rundown and Paige is like, we don't even need to talk about it because we don't understand it. So like, what are we going to get on there and say, yeah, here's the news. Have no idea what this means. And so like, it's, it's just kind of in this weird holding period where I'm, I mean, I'm interested to see how it's going to play out, but mm. I think we're a long way from from seeing any of that actually come to fruition. But I think the point that you made that's interesting is that it is in all sports. And I feel like the only people who are like inherently angry about this is people on golf Twitter who are like eat, sleep and breathe golf. I don't mm. know that the actual like, casual fan, like you said, who just wants to see more mm. golf really cares about that. And so I think that that's, that's an interesting point. Um, yeah. yeah, there's definitely genuine, there's genuine concerns about it. And there's genuine repercussions onto the long-term future of the professional game. There's absolutely no doubt about that, but nobody knows what they are yet and everyone's just so confused that, that that's what's probably the most worrying thing about it is golf is generally has been very stable and this is just completely rocked the boat everyone's flying overboard well i don't think anyone wants to put out a, a hot take these days because things are changing so quickly and we have seen big social channels delete 
lots and lots of tweets and past videos of takes that they have had and they want to be in the good graces of what potentially could be happening and now they're having to revert back and you know their their followers are calling them hypocrites and it's a very interesting place but i actually turned on the cw last week and i watched the live event for the first yeah. time because i have never actually watched it on tv and the first couple seconds i saw three hole outs and it was mm. quick and it was back to back and the leaderboard was moving and i was like this is this is pretty good you know what i yeah. didn't watch i didn't watch the john deere so <laughs> it is interesting how things are changing and evolving yeah i didn't watch uh, any PJ Tour or DP World this week either. I did watch a like a little bit of live. And like I said, it's obviously the format is a, is a little bit different and it is changing. But I, I kind of learned this maybe a few years ago that when I when it was like during the lockdowns, um, I'm, I'm not sure what it was like in the states, but the the UK lockdowns were a bit of a nightmare. And I was away on a trip um, filming, and then all of a sudden, like the UK closed its borders, and I had about. 10 hours to get back from Dubai. It was a, it was an absolute nightmare. So I had a little bit of a sound off on Twitter about it, like having a bit of a moan about the government and all the rest of it. And like the responses were very varied, but also it was a case of like, I think a lot of people, like, when they watch us on social, when they watch the YouTube videos and when they kind of watch sport in general, they, they want to escape. Like, the, the world will always come at you and the news will always peck you in the head with the worst things that are happening and it's depressing. Like, let's be honest, things can get very depressing very quickly. So when people actually watch sport, they don't want to be involved in that. They want to get away from it. Like, they want to be entertained. They want to imagine what it'd be like to shoot a 65-round Augusta without having to worry about any of that kind of crap. So I kind of learned a long time ago now. It's, it's interesting to talk about, but just... You just gotta just gotta be careful. You just gotta like let it let it play out. Because at the end of the day, like even if we wanted to do something, we can't can't control the the actions of a you know public investment fund or a tour or whatever it may be. Okay, switching angles, totally different question here. Twofold. What's run one rule in golf that you would get rid of, and what's one rule in golf that you would add? <laughs> uh <laughs> So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't get rid of the divot kind of current rule. Like if it goes in a divot <laughs> If it goes in a divot, play it. I love it. I love the carnage. You know what? It's fine. It goes in the divot. So who who cares? Um <laughs> probably a rule a rule that'd change. To be honest, I don't I don't think I would. I th I think golf's absolutely fine as it is. Why are you trying to get me to change stuff? Hey, you two, just let just let it go offline. Why don't we just let it be the great sport that it is? Why, why are we going to change everything? Like, what's the problem? The only rule I would add is first tee shot of the day, you could have a mulligan, but that's it. You can have one breakfast ball, and it has to go on your first tee shot, and that's it. That's that fine. is a rule that I do every single day, so yep. I, I agree with that one. That would be kind of epic if that was, like, apl applied in professional life. <laughs> can you imagine? Well, I reckon it could be, like, a a, a local rule as well. So, like... If your club doesn't have a range, so you can't warm up, you get two or three. If it doesn't have a putting green to get the pace, you can have four mulligans. Like, just, like oh, wait no, it. Just to get routine yeah, yeah. the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like just a running running checklist. If it's car path only, you're going to be a bit more knackered. So, yeah, throw another one in there. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, that, that's pretty good. I would say if I had one rule to change, I would 
stop doing the drop from the knee because it looks stupid. Let's just go back to arm height again. You're right. Like, why did we even change that to begin with? Even over the back. Yes. Let's do over the back. Let's do a little spin and a drop. Like, let's make it interesting. The little, like, crouch down drop from the knee. I hate that. Yeah. And guys should wear shorts and on the PGA Tour. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, shorts, shorts is definitely a... <laughs> Yeah, I've I've been in I've been in a bit of trouble with my kind of the PJ the UK a few times when I've been playing in comps and it's been too hot and I've again sounded off about not being able to wear shorts. It seems this is, this is why golf is so stupid. Like the amount of the amount of like strong opinions that you get from something about like wearing shorts, like shorts, they're just shorts. Like that's all. That's all. they're just cut off trousers. Like that's it. It's absolutely fine. Like, wear shorts. Nobody's bothered. It's all cool. Like, just wear them. It's absolutely fine. And the amount of people that get angry about whether people wear shorts, man, I just don't, I don't get it. Yeah, about, yeah, the, the drop from the knee, that's not a bad one. Like, over the shoulder would be cool. Let's, let's take this back to 1850. I love that. Love that's it. a perfect segue into my next question. What is the craziest take you've ever seen on golf Twitter? On golf Twitter? Oh, the, the, the one, the one I love. And it keeps popping up every now and again is like when a four handicapper is like, oh, you know, I could, I reckon I could be top 10 in an LPJ event or like a ladies tour event. I, I love it. I love it when someone says that because I, eventually, eventually it has to happen that the person who says that gets called out by an LPJ player and they go and play and somebody films it. And like, we just like see the, chaos as they break down in tears as like like rose zang is just pounded and like 20 shots by the 18th oh that'd be fantastic i'd love to see that that'd be brilliant i, I, I love because the, the thing is like with social like we we know this like social media is a fantastic platform for you to you know say what you want to say for you to be yourself to you know get your content out there um but it's also a free market you know the, there's as many horrendous takes as there are good takes and a lot of them yeah it can be funny it can be funny i saw one the other day and it's from that parody pga tour account and most people think their stuff is serious but they asked this question and they said if two of the best pga tour players in the world played the two best lpga tour players in the world and the women played the front tees who would win and 80 percent said the men, the front tees, the, the front front tees. So you're telling me if Rose Zhang got to play from 5,000 yards that she would not beat what Scotty Shuffler playing from the tips? That is wow. a ridiculous take. I'm sticking with my brethren. Up the boys. We'll definitely do. <laughs> oh, no. No, absolutely no chance. I think it's, a, it's, it's one of those things where, like, when you watch when you watch ladies golf, and I've been fortunate enough to to kind of like play with quite a few LPJ players and a few um, ladies European tour players, like because most men don't watch those events, there's such a misconception about how good they are. Like honestly, like they're they're probably some of the most impressive players that I've that I've played. With. Unbelievable. So yeah, if you stick a couple of like the, yeah the top two LPJ players off front tees, then yeah they're gonna. They're going to beat anybody, really matter. Because 
they're just they're just so good so good what did the you've been over to the moonlight classic in dubai haven't you and like seeing that event so lucky that like, we covered it one year and we pretty much got kind of carte blanche of the course we could do whatever we wanted and i was just i was just following around like celine boutier and like a few of the players and it was oh, just minji lee who kind of ended up winning it like just to just to walk around and see them playing is is unbelievable like if, if you have the chance anybody listening if you have the chance to go to an lpj event go it's unreal we talk about that a lot too, because one thing that I don't think people realize is how more, much more relatable the women's game is to the average five handicap men's golfer. Like they're actually hitting it around the same distances that you are. It's fun to watch. They have beautiful golf swings. They're not usually as big of babies as the men are sometimes. No offense to the men. Um, but yeah, we always talk about how great the LPGA is to watch. Um, mm. Let's finish on this note. So you have a weekend golfer. He's listening to this podcast. He's playing this weekend. He's like, damn, I'm going to go. I'm going to go watch Peter Finch's YouTube videos and I'm going to shoot even par this weekend. Okay, maybe. But what's one thing that somebody listening to this podcast can do on the range this week to improve their golf game? Oh, um, probably leave the range and go to the <laughs> go to the putting green. <laughs> um, okay, that's a great answer, though. Yeah, to, like most. Um, so if, if you're a weekend golfer, Unless you're unless you're practicing week in week out, like you're not going to be able to change your swing in one session. It's just it's just not going to happen. You can change things which alters ball flight, but if you're about to go out on the golf course, it's probably going to make things worse. But there is absolutely nothing to stop you working on your chipping and your putting techniques, which you have more control over. And there's no. It's a great analogy as far as like you can. The chances are most people listening to this will not be able to move their body like Rory or Scotty. They're not going to be physically able to reproduce shots like they can. But with the putter, there's absolutely no reason that they're not physically as capable of being as good a putter as anybody in the world. It just takes, same as always, takes time, takes practice. So the best thing to do generally if you're a weekend golfer is just yeah get to the chipping green, get to the putting green, because that's where you're going to be playing a lot of your shots from. And the best thing you can do is lower your expectations. Like if you don't practice during the week and you go out at the weekend and have a bad round, that's fine. It's absolutely okay because you've not done any practice. It's good. Just go out and enjoy yourself. It's absolutely fine. Lower your expectations. So everyone, you heard it here. Get off of the driving range. Go work on your short game. Lower your expectations. Pierre, thank you so much for joining us today. Such an amazing chat with you. Where can everyone listening find all of you on social media? Um, just pump in Peter Finch Golf into any social media and YouTube and I'll I'll pop up. My, my face will be there, unfortunately. So yeah. <laughs> Stick it, stick it in and I'll come up. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. No worries. Thanks very much. Follow Playing Around with Paige Renee on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you want to improve your game faster and hit your driver longer? The good news is ShotScope can help you achieve your goals. ShotScope has products for every golfer, such as GPS watches, laser rangefinders, and shot tracking devices designed to lower scores and improve your golf by over four shots on average. I use the Pro LX Plus rangefinder on the course to get my distances. What I love most about ShotScope is tracking my game and reviewing my stats. The great news 
news is your personalized stats are completely free with no yearly subscription. If I can use it, anyone can. Jump over to shotscope.com today and find the perfect product for you. And remember to use my code page at checkout.